Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. I don't know what you do when you're nervous. When I've, uh, when I've, when I have to preach or I have to speak or do do anything like this, there's two things I do when I'm nervous. I yawn. Just I, I don't know why I yawn. I'm not usually tired, but I yawn, and I need a toilet run. Um, so both of those have happened, and uh, and now I'm going to pray because I want the Lord to do good work this morning. So let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your church. Thank you uh, that we get to be part of your church. I pray that your word would speak loud and clear today to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, if you don't know me, my name is Nathan Gilmore. I, um, I'm an elder here at Restoration Church, and I do love the opportunity to be able to get up and preach. Um, I, uh, I don't get the opportunity very often, um, but I'm really glad to be able to do it today. Um, I'm going to start here. I'd love your imagination for a moment. Often the imagination doesn't get exercised all that much, but I want your imagination this morning. Today we're going to exercise holy foresight, looking ahead so that we live differently in the present. I want you to cast your vision forward to the future. Who knows when? But a future that is guaranteed to happen. John describes a scene in heaven that involves a wedding and a feast like no other. And it's in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 4 to 10. As I read the words, I want your imagination to come alive, imagining what this scene looks like. Amen. Sorry, I'll skip back. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Have I got your imagination? Can you imagine this scene? My voice did not do it justice. Like a great multitude. I'm imagining like 75,000 people at a uh, state of origin where New South Wales won. <clears throat> like the roar of rushing water. Like a peal of thunder. This is the noise that's being made at this great and glorious scene. And then there's this wedding supper. And it's like no other wedding. There was excited shouting because the Lord God Almighty was reigning. There was rejoicing. There was gladness as they gave him glory. 
the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and his bride, the church, will be married. And the bride, the church, she'll be wearing the gorgeous wedding dress of her righteous acts, made pure by the righteous act of Christ. And there'll be people who'll be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and they will be blessed, most happy. No earthly wedding or wedding feast could compare to the glory of the majesty of this wedding. And it's going to happen one day. It's going to happen. But now we come to the parable for today. It's the parable of the ten virgins out of Matthew 25. The parable of the ten virgins in the NIV. That's its title. Chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some, some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, I'm going to read it again in just a moment. But first, I'd like to actually make uh, just some comment. Because there's a whole lot in this particular parable that doesn't make sense for us in our uh, current day. And so I want to try to take us back to the period in which it was written um, to give us some context. Um, And after I've read it again, I'll then look at the implications for today. Um, First of all, for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and submits their lives to him, they belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom that lasts for eternity beyond this earth, beyond death. Jesus is helping us to get what the kingdom is like by using a metaphor that's relatable, a wedding. When he says at that time, we should ask the question, at what time? You notice Jesus said that, at that time, that automatically should make us go, well, at what time? What do you mean, Jesus? Well, the time he's talking about, um, this parable follows after an explanation of his own return, Jesus' return. No one knows the day or the hour of his return, not even Jesus. Only God the Father has this knowledge. But on that day, Jesus wants the listeners to try and grasp what it will be like. So when he says, at that time, that's what he's saying. At the time when Jesus Christ returns, this is what it will be like. Next, it's a Jewish wedding. Now, a Jewish wedding uh, was a long and joy-filled celebration that would often last one to two weeks. Um, There's a theologian, Michael Green, who uh, describes it this way. The wedding is not only a joyful, but a protracted affair. The couple would not go away on a honeymoon, as is our tradition, but stay at home and welcome all comers. It was a relaxed affair. There was no set time when the bridegroom would come to the house of his bride, either to eat the wedding feast there or, more frequently, to take her to his own home for the wedding feast. The festivities lasted for a week or even two. And were marked by great joy, feasting, and music. The virgins waited to escort the bridegroom into the house. And once he arrived and went in, the door was shut, 
and there was no possibility of light access. Does that give you a bit more of an idea about what a wedding feast was probably like or a wedding uh, was probably like? Ours lasts a day and maybe into the night and the next morning. Uh, These last a week. And so you can imagine if you missed out on the wedding feast, if you were at the door expecting to go in and you missed out on the wedding feast, you weren't just missing a night, you were missing a whole week of festivities, a whole week um, or or even two of, uh, of delight and enjoyment. The torches. The torches they were carrying were likely sticks with oil-covered rags at the end. Not so much the oil lamps we would, uh, we would remember today. While waiting, all the virgins nodded off into a sound sleep. Not just the five virgins who were unprepared. It doesn't appear that this, fo- uh, this is a fault in either group. I, I asked this question when I first read it. I was like, oh, hold on, that. Like they both, they both went to sleep. Isn't that usually a sign of unpreparedness? Like, you know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, uh, and the, he asked the disciples to stay awake and watch, uh, and they ended up going to sleep, and he rebuked them for that. He's, he's like, you went to sleep. In this, in this circumstance, it doesn't look like uh, going to sleep was a fault. Um, or it, it also wasn't a sign of whether they'll be welcomed into the wedding feast or not. Waiting for the bridegroom doesn't appear to involve a hyper-vigilance where they're always on high alert. It looked like um, the issue was whether they were prepared for the moment when the bridegroom appeared. So it looks like the waiting isn't necessarily like, I've got to be awake. I've got to know when the bridegroom's coming. It's like, no, I'm human. I need a bit of sleep. I'm getting tired. I'll go to sleep. And when the bridegroom comes, I'll be ready. Or in some cases, I won't be ready. What about when the call rang out? The bridegroom's coming. The bridegroom's coming. They all got up. They trimmed their lamps. But the foolish virgins found that as soon as they lit their lamp, it went out. Now here, they tried to borrow from the wise virgins who exercised foresight and brought oil with them. But the reply was effectively no. Now, as I was reading this, I thought, well, that seems a little selfish, doesn't it? (laughs) If you've got some, you should share it. Uh, if you've got oil that, that you could give to those who are a little unprepared, like we've got grace for them, don't we? Like, uh, surely we could share some oil and let them come in too. Um, but in this circumstance, no, no, this wasn't the case. There's not enough. I, um, in reading and in thinking about it, uh, it wasn't a selfish act on behalf of the wise virgins. Um, it was actually necessary for the foolish virgin, virgins to understand and to learn that when the time comes, it won't be possible to borrow someone else's preparedness. So at the time when Jesus returns, it won't be time to try and borrow someone else's faith. It won't be time to borrow someone else's um, preparedness so that you can enter in to the, uh, to the wedding feast. Now think about the time. Remember the time. What time was it? When the bridegroom came, the call rang out, it was midnight. Now, the, uh, the wise virgins said that they should go and find someone who sells oil and get some oil and come back. But at midnight, you can imagine, there's not many shops open. Not many oil sellers are, uh, are open for sale and willing to sell oil. Uh, so it meant that they went off and, uh, and had to wait, I, I guess, wait until someone was open to get enough oil to be able to come back. And, uh, and hopefully, in that time, uh, the bridegroom hasn't come. Well, 
the foolish virgins, virgins went off to buy and upon their return desperately cried out to the bridegroom. They wanted in on the party. They desperately wanted in on the party, but the door was shut. And this didn't mean that they missed just a night's festivities, as I mentioned before, but probably a whole week. You can imagine the crunch they felt. You ever been, um, you ever thought you were invited somewhere or, or thought you were going somewhere and then found out when you got there you were too late? What a pinch. How, how painful that must be. Now, if this was said in a village, you can also imagine, we're not talking about 120,000 people in Toowoomba. We're probably more talking like a small village um, where everybody is known to everybody. And so to not be in on the celebration meant that you were like an outsider. You were, you were left out in the dark. Uh, so, so the pinch is even more. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, the bridegroom responds to them after their cry, their desperate plea, can we please come in? Can we just, we really want to be in on the celebration. Uh, the bridegroom says, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Truly I tell you, I don't know you. What a chilling, chilling phrase. So as we exercise our own holy foresight today, what implications does it have? Now, uh, before I go on, I want to read the parable one more time. You've heard it once on your own. You've heard me read it to you. I'd love for you to have it open in front of you. Now, with that sort of cultural, contextual knowledge, let's read it again and, uh, and let's let it sink in. Chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to the, meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for uh, for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy their oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, Jesus says. Because you do not know the day or the hour. So as we continue to consider this particular parable, Jesus is making pretty clear that there'll be a day and an hour that nobody knows. It will come suddenly when he will return and he will take the, uh, the, his, bride, his bride and, uh, and he will take them into the wedding and the wedding supper of the lamb. Remembering that first imagery that I set up right at the beginning. That's, that's, what the, uh, that's what the church looks forward to. That's what the bride looks forward to. But there's a pinch here because it appears that not everyone who thought they were going to be in are in. Not everyone who thought they were going to be in are in. So I want to uh, highlight three things as, uh, as we consider the uh, implications for our lives. First of all, surprising similarity. 
Second, uh, the, di- the difference, drift. And third, knowing and being known. First of all, surprising similarities. Did you notice the similarities in the virgins? They were all there. They were all um, somewhat prepared. They all had torches. Um, they were all waiting for this bridegroom um, to come and to welcome them into the wedding feast. Um, they all turned up. They all slept, actually. They all slept soundly. They drifted off into a sleep. But some were prepared and some were not. So there's some similarities here, but actually it's the differences that really matter. Michael Green, the theologian, again puts it well. The girls all looked the same, but they were not. Only half of them were ready for the feast and went on in to enjoy the festivities with the bride and the groom. And then the door was shut. What a warning. It tells us that it is all too possible to be often in church and in Christian company and yet be a stranger to the Holy Spirit. It's possible to have a lamp that looks good but has no oil in it. It's possible that one day Jesus may have to say, I never knew you, as he did in Matthew 7, verse 23. All that is a great surprise to churchgoers in Matthew's day and in ours. It is a a chilling warning that we we almost, um, there's, there's sometimes where we want to depend upon the faith of somebody else or we want to borrow the faith of somebody else or borrow someone else's relationship with Christ and not personally have a relationship ourselves. And so uh, we, uh, we come to church, we do the thing, but actually there's this emptiness between us and Christ, which is actually the really, really significant part. So... There's some similarities, and I don't think we can fool ourselves into thinking, ah, everything's sweet. Everything's okay. Um, Else, you find yourself as a a foolish virgin who thought they were prepared but wasn't, and I'll keep unpacking that as we go. Number two, the difference. I think the difference between the wise virgin and the foolish virgin the one who was prepared and the one who was unprepared, um, is not so much a great sin that happened and therefore they were cast out. I, I, don't, I don't think it's that. It doesn't appear to be that. I think um, the significant um, the difference is that the foolish virgins perhaps drifted. Um, there were small incremental things that happened in their faith, in their relationship with Christ, in their relationship with the bridegroom, to come to a point where he would somehow say, I don't know you. Now, that doesn't just happen unless you're a 10-year-old girl in year five and you're, you're having some sort of relational issue. And it's like, one day I know you. The next day it's like, no, nah, don't know you. <laughs> don't want to be your friend anymore. Uh, we're not talking about that. We're probably talking more like uh, a drift that happens slowly but surely over time to the point where the bridegroom says, I don't know you. We don't know the day or the hour of Jesus' return. Keeping watch is intentional. It's intentional. Drifting is always easier. Always, always, always easier. It will always be easier to drift away from God than it will be to stay present with God and in relationship with God. 
C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The first step is to recognize the fact that your moods change. The next is to make sure that, you, uh, that if you have once accepted Christianity, then some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time every day. That is why daily prayers and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. And as a matter of fact, if you examined 100 people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would have turned out to, be, to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? Don't most people just simply drift away? I, um, I'm saddened. Uh, the, the, the people that I um, have conversations with um, who are choosing uh, not to be in community with a local church of believers. Um, and and I, watch, I watch as their faith sort of wavers and, and, and uh, dips and goes all over the place. Um, I watch as their faith kind of drifts into their own sort of personal subjective relative relationship with God between me and God without the need to um, hear from anyone in authority without the need to hear from God's word um, it's difficult it's really difficult to watch and I do think that that's the cause of um, this drift that heads off um, apart from God drifting away from communion with God his word strong belief and the community of his people leaves a Christian vulnerable very very vulnerable um, I think it leaves them vulnerable to unpreparedness. <clears throat> One of the first things Lewis said is, um, the first step is to recognize the fact that your moods change. Another way that I think that drift happens is, is when we become cynical. Um, it's really easy today to watch the news, to read the news, to um, be living in the, in the world as we know it, and to just become cynical. Um, there's this, there's this uh, despair that goes on when you see rumors of wars, when you see um, the, the evil that, that happens in parliament, when you see uh, the uh, challenge that ha- challenges that happen amongst countries, between countries. Um, you see all these things and you can become really cynical and, and it can start to, uh, I found personally, it can start to, uh, cause me to doubt and wonder what what is what's God doing like what's what's going on in here um, and this cynicism starts to take over and it starts to impact not just the way I view the world and what's going on in the world but it starts to view that change the way I view the people around me um, and this cynicism kind of creeps into the way we relate to one another um, so conversations that used to be filled with any sort of hope, conversations that uh, we would have with workmates um, often turn into cynical um, cracks at the other side or, um, or uh, uh, just complaining or whinging or despairing about where the world's at. Now, this is a very normal human thing, but I think if we give into it over and over, these are the incremental little things that cause us to drift away from this deep and personal relationship with Christ. Um, that that makes that makes something really significant. So, first of all, surprising similarities. 
Second of all, the difference, which I think is drift. And third of all, knowing and being known. Knowing and being known. The bridegroom in this story, if you haven't worked it out, uh, I've mentioned it a few times, is Jesus Christ himself. This is the imagery he's using to say, I'm, I'm the bridegroom, the church, those who are believers in, in Jesus Christ, they're the bride, and they're one day going to be married in this glorious, glorious day. Uh, they'll be joined together as one, and there'll be a great feast. Um, but there's this clear line in here where, Jesus, where, where the bridegroom says to the foolish virgins, I didn't know you. I don't know you. I tell you the truth. I don't know you. And so it appears that knowing is the key. Knowing and being known is the key. Knowing Jesus Christ can't be borrowed. Being known by Jesus Christ can't be borrowed. As much as uh, we want someone else's faith to rub off on us, uh, as much as we want to be as good as somebody else's faith or to be as strong as somebody else's faith, that's not the same as personally knowing Jesus Christ and being known by Jesus Christ. I think this is the key. Christ refuses to be known by association. He must be known personally. Hebrews 3 verse 7 to 4 verse 13 says this. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion. Do you sense in yourself over a time where your heart is being hardened incrementally? Perhaps you come to church and you hear God's word and you hear the challenge and you walk away and you forget about it. There's a little hardening of heart that goes on every time that happens. Perhaps the Holy Spirit reveals to you some sin that's blocking you and, and tripping you up and messing you about and he makes it really clear that it's a problem and you refuse to deal with it. There's a little hardening of heart that goes on with that. And there's these incremental hardening of hearts that, that becomes a blockage in the way that we relate to God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I talked about cynicism before. I talked about hardening of hearts, this refusal to respond to God, this refusal to... Um, draw near to him in the fullness of all that you are. Um, mess, sin, uh, suffering. Do not harden your hearts. 
draw near to him. Jesus, Jesus has this invitation. It's in John 10. Um, it's, well, it's less of an invitation. Uh, it's more of a, here's, how you, here's, here's a way to actually understand what it means to know Christ. Um, and he, he compares it to sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. You see, Jesus, the bridegroom, he wants to know every one of you. But he also wants you to be known by him. Think about a marriage. A marriage, a husband and a wife, slowly but surely drift apart. The less they serve one another, the less they communicate with one another honestly and openly, the less they uh, look out for one another, um, the more they become like ships passing in the night. That's how marriage drifts apart and a relationship that ought to be one becomes this split and and dissected relationship. Um, So how do you remain one? How do you remain in relationship? Well, you've got to let them know you. Um, I remember a a time when Renee and I, I would come home and, uh, and I would rarely share anything that went on in my day. I'd probably ask a lot of questions and I'd listen to lots of stuff that went on in her day, but I'd rarely let her know about what went on in my day. And, uh, and I, she, she made me aware of this and, um, and I, I started just sharing more about what went on in my day. Uh, what were the things that went really well? What were the fears? What were the, uh, the things that really tripped me up, the mess? Um, and suddenly, it was like the relationship changed. It was uh, suddenly not me just knowing her. Uh, it was actually her knowing me as well. And, uh, and relationship with Christ is, is no different. You might know him, and I'm glad about that. But does he know you? Are, are you letting yourself be known by him? Are there things that you long for? Are there things that you know have tripped you up and caused you great shame? That have hardened your heart? Why don't you let him know you today and let him transform you? I'll close with this, um, this story that I've been following uh, in the news. Um, it's actually a tragic story. I've been wondering whether I should uh, whether I should include it here at the end, but um, it's a tragic story which hopefully awakens, uh, but then reinforces what I've been saying. Um, it's a tragic story of a couple who held their wedding in the Hunter Valley down in New South Wales. This wedding ended with a bus ride of all the guests coming home, and uh, and sadly the bus overturned, and um, and there were numerous people killed, um, numerous injured. And it was quite a tragic end to what was a really glorious day. 
um, at one of the first funerals, one of the passengers, Angus Craig, um, he, he, was the, he was the young man who died. His partner stood up and as part of her closing words, she said this, I will remember I'm forever a better person for having loved and being loved by you, Angus. Now, Bella didn't know the day or the hour that this tragedy would happen. But she knew she was different from having loved and been loved by this man. And so I wonder for you what it's like today. Um, Would you say, every day I'm different because I have loved and I've been loved by Jesus Christ? Every day, does loving him and being loved by him change you just a bit? Um, If you're, this particular parable was speaking to Christians. Um, Remember the the 10 virgins, they all looked the same and they were all there for the same bridegroom. Um, And so it's a bit of a, um, it's a bit of a challenging scripture. It's a warning um, to say, be, be watchful. You don't know the day or the hour. Um, and it's meant to finish that way. And if there's anything that awakens in you, um, you're just not sure. Then let that drive you to Jesus. Um, if you're confused about what it looks like, then come and we'd love to help pastor you through that and lead you through that. Um, because we all experience doubts. We all wonder. Um, but we'd love to walk through it with you. Um, if it's left you with a sense of dread today, like this, this just a general sense of dread. Oh, maybe I'm not in. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm one of the ones. Maybe I'm one of the foolish virgins. Um, I do think that the Holy Spirit, I know that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So he doesn't sort of make vague things apparent and then leave you to sort of sit in your dread and your shame and your mess. Um, so if, you, if, it's, if it's been confusing today and you're not sure, then please let that drive you to Jesus. He's the bridegroom. Um, and, and perhaps you've started to drift. Let that be a day today. Let this word today be a day where you come back and you start to anchor down into Jesus Christ and into relating to him and knowing him and being known by him. Um, if you're not a Christian today, I don't think this scripture was talking to you except for the fact that there will be a day. No one knows the day or the hour, and Jesus Christ will return. And today is a very, very good day for you to come, bow the knee, quit living life for yourself, and follow Jesus Christ. Because there is one day, and I'm going to take you back to that first scripture. There is a day where the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, and they cried out, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. That'll be a good day. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. This bride will have fine linen, bright and clean. And that's what she'll be wearing. 
And the angel said to me, what, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Today is a very good day to come and worship God. I want to finish with a benediction. Draw near to Jesus. Be known and know him today. Is our benediction. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Amen.